Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as ever by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? The weather is glorious, Michael. It's um, my favourite type of day, which is uh, sunny but cold. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice day here in, here in the South East. Looking, looking forward to uh, talking the news. Good, it's not the question I asked, but we'll, we'll take that as the answer. And, and Luke, uh, how's the weather in your area, which is where you tell me how you're feeling today, I imagine, given that? Um, or not. Well, uh, it's very overcast, pretty much the opposite of Southend. This is uh, this is already. I think everyone is turned off by this point. You see, the, the news at least saves the weather until last, whereas we, because of your two's strange obsession with it, uh, have to do it first. But we'll, we'll swiftly move on uh, to the big story of the week. I think we might have talked about it last week, but it's it's all that's been talked about for the past three weeks, and I think it is important. There's there's a lot of um, commenters who who insist. Um, it's being overblown, who even go along with the ridiculous line, we should wait for the, the Sue Gray report, um, which I find pretty dull, um, given that we know exactly what's happened already. It's quite clear, even from what Boris said alone in uh, PMQs the other week when he admitted to having attended what he claimed to have thought was a work event. I think that was enough of a, a hammer blow. Um, it is, of course, Partygate, and there's uh, ever more calls for him to resign, even from uh, heavyweights like David Davis, which I thought was quite significant, um, which, again, commentators have, have called grandiose and all this, um, which I think is that it shows their desperate bid to try and keep Boris in more than anything else, because uh, Davis's remarks were, of course, are purposely grandiose. He, he quoted the Chamberlain quote, I think. Um, because that would have been a particular rub for Boris, who's a big fan of uh, of Churchill, and who would have been uh, <laughs> who would have found it really quite insulting to be compared to the chap whose downfall led to him becoming prime minister. So, um, what do you two think of this? Are we blowing it out of proportion? Is it not that important, or could this be the end of Boris? Well, we're we're, we're um, we did touch on this on his last week. I think the the general conclusion that we came to was um, that this it almost doesn't really matter what happens to the prime minister now what this what this has done to the the stay at home save lives narrative is catastrophic because it tells us once again and this is a continuation of everything from Niall Ferguson to Matt Hancock to Partygate that the British government does not fear coronavirus Yeah. that's the that's the message not you know these you know uh eaton toffs think they're above the law no it's they We've always know that be sure because these people are all about their own continuity right above, above everything you know that is that is what the tory party stands for in this day and age is its own continuity that's it and you can't have continuity if you died from a virus right so if they actually you know because bear in mind they probably know more than we do about certain things and if they if they feared this virus as much as they told us to, not only would there not have been parties, there wouldn't have been in-person work. You know, everyone everyone would have worked on the, from their bedrooms via Zoom for for the last two years. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's the that's the more pronounced victim of this than just the PM's legitimacy, which you know we've we've known has been in tatters for a long for a, yeah. for a long time. Yeah, well, it should be, but I don't think it is because the media isn't highlighting that point and neither are the politicians. It's the, it's the single-handedly the most important aspects of this, I think, 
well, clearly it is, is that it demonstrates the PM and his staff weren't fearful of COVID, i.e. the people who introduced lockdowns, who said we must flatten the curve, who insisted that, um, that relatives must be pulled apart at, at funerals and that um, grandparents can't be able to see the, the, their newborn grandchildren, all of these hideous measures and that children should be dragged away from school. All of these measures were introduced by people who weren't fearful of COVID demonstrably weren't fearful of COVID. That's really quite interesting. But because that's not being picked up on by the media, again, all we're hearing is of the hypocrisy aspect, which is boring. We've always known it about Boris. If anything, it's what got him elected. It's his, it's his uh, brazen um, uh, face up until lying that has got him elected. It was his, it was his appearances on um, Have I Got News? It's always hilarious, by the way, to see Have I Got News For You uh, sort of criticising Boris now when they pretty much were responsible for him being elected because it got him known in a, in a humorous sort of fashion and you know things about his lying in, in newspapers in the past and sort of scandals and his his uh, misdealings with his numerous wives were all detailed on this sort of programme and everyone knows about it it got him elected we know about the hypocrisy the lying the important thing is he wasn't fearful but the important thing because it wasn't hasn't been highlighted this aspect I think if uh, a new prime minister were to come in or if a couple of years down the line, a new virus were to come in or even a new variant of COVID and we were told we must stay at home again, people would still do it, I think. I don't think Partygate has, has weakened that one jot. I think people still would because that singular aspect of this whole story, i.e. the most important, hasn't been pulled out. Well, um, I think what, what the media have, of course, touched upon is just tr trying to appeal to both sides. It will appeal to the pro-lockdown side because it shows that the prime minister and wider government are not following the rules, which, which the, uh, the view, some viewers support, as well as, you know, can attract people like us who um, can sneer at the prime minister saying, how, how dare you do this when you implemented these rules? And again, you, you clearly don't believe in COVID. That's, um, that that's, hasn't what's brought a hammer blow to plan B restrictions or major lockdowns. Yeah. It's the fact that um, the opposition have finally had found a hammer to beat the government with. But as yeah. they have voted for the exact same restrictions, which pulled families apart, ensured that the Queen was alone at her late husband's funeral, they, they've tried to stand on a high stall, but um, they've found that their foundations are very shaky. That's why um, I think the Labour Labour's shadow education secretary said that there must never be any other lockdowns right. and that's why you've seen just a complete reverse in rhetoric because the, 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 their legitimacy has completely gone out the window. Yeah, just quickly on the Queen point, because there's, there's like a load of really interesting threads I think from that. Um, so according to Private Eye and, and some other reports, the Queen was offered around the time of Philip's funeral for the restrictions at the funeral to be more lax. They said you can have more than 30 mourners. Uh, you can reduce the, the social distancing rules that led to that sort of now famous picture of the Queen sat alone. The Queen said she didn't want any of this to take place because it wouldn't be fair to those who have uh, been to family funerals themselves with the restrictions in place um, and that she would rather lead by example, let's say, do do what the rules were saying. Now, you know, I, I thought the rules were wrong, but I think that's at least uh, the position that if all this were true, a leader should take. Uh, two nights before, uh, well, actually, sorry, the night before, two parties were held at Downing Street, one of which a suitcase had to be taken out to fill up with booze. But the important thing is, though, one, 
the fact the Prime Minister could offer this to the Queen, or that Whitehall could offer this to, to the Queen, um, they had the figures at the time. They know what was going on with COVID, and clearly they thought the situation was good enough to allow for the restrictions to be used. If, again, they were so fearful of COVID, they would never even, even offered that. Because, <laughs> you know, if, if COVID was this, if they believe COVID was this terrible thing, then in their view, mm -hmm. reducing social distancing at Prince Philip's funeral and increasing the number of mourners could uh, technically lead to the Queen's death. So this is something, you know, that they, they wouldn't have done mm -hmm. unless they thought COVID wasn't so scary and that the figures at the time justified this thing. That's one point. Um, and I mean, the other point, of course, is um, I think it really rubs into the face uh, Boris's lack of leadership, even if he didn't, even if he did think that COVID was a serious thing, that these parties were taking place in his own home, never mind office, um, the night before. Uh, it just, I think, is a great um, exemplar of, of just how brazen all of these leaders have been um, at, at this time. Uh, I know you um, wrote in the Christmas special that the, well, the Partygate had, had won our Scandal of the Year award. I think one of the sentences was um, the fact that you need to call an investigation to find out whether a party occurred in your own house is quite funny. Yeah, it's ludicrous. <laughs> it is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, this there's two things. I was watching Question Time last night for the first time in a while, um, and... Even just seeing the parties and, and politicians' responses to this whole party gate thing has been so infuriating. To see Labour saying um, on, you know, on the 20th of May 2020, uh, my constituents um, had to see their husband uh, buried into the ground al alone. They weren't allowed to hold their hands in the last moments. They voted for all of these measures. In fact, they wanted stricter measures on many cases and said the Tories weren't being firm enough. We've argued against them. Labour has been for them this whole while, and now has the the gut to say that that you know um, that these things were awful and shows how bad the, the government has been. The, the Labour has no ground to stand on with all this, as, as far as I'm concerned. They've been just as bad. Sometimes they've been worse, in fact, um, and and that oughtn't to be forgotten. And 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 nor do the the home nations. Um, no, the, the the devolved regimes of uh, of Drakeford and Sturgeon. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, <laughs> that sounds really sinister. How you said that. I mean, never forget those images of well supermarkets where books were you know tapered over. Um, yeah, yeah. People Remember were, what they took from you. Yeah, no, people were threatened with arrest <laughs> for you know buying non-essential goods like nappies for their baby. Um, and and the same in Scotland until. That is, um, we had to save the world with the climate agenda because they actually they actually cancelled in Glasgow City Council, SNP run, cancelled hospital appointments or rescheduled them as well um, in order to ensure the roads would be more clear for the thousands of climate delegates that would come in to the country for COP26. This is who, how... Yes, who, who, who flew in from North America, yes. yes. Yeah, well, Luke, you, you had a good story on that one, I think. Was it Japan? Um, oh, yeah, well, they flew two empty plays, one to Glasgow, one to Edinburgh, to see which location was more convenient to funnel the delegates. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. That's about <laughs> um, So, yeah, you know, COVID obviously stops when when climate must be I mean, at least Davos had the goal to make it a, a virtual event. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. In a world where Davos were the good guys, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> Davos is the example. Yeah. Well, all of this is brought, you know... Um, while the main questions have been missed, i.e. that the government didn't think COVID was as bad as it suggested, 
the government is still taking a royal slating. Perhaps we'll we'll look at the slating for a moment and then go on to the, the, the government's response to the slating. So we've seen a Tory defect to Labour. Now this has been this has been reported. Um, basically, the Tory line has been adopted that this guy won a very narrow majority recently with the Tories. Didn't think he would again, but might have more chance with the Labour Party. So that's sort of the cynical view as to why he did this, um, as though what Boris has been doing isn't bad enough to warrant a defection. And then, of course, we saw, uh, as we said earlier, David Davis stand up and and ask Boris for the good of God go. Um, which I thought was a great intervention, but Ben Harris Quinney made a good point on this. Uh, I talked to him the other day, which was that um, Keir Starmer, as we've said every week now, actually, about this, has led PMQs, the questioning towards Boris, really weakly. He had a, a massive chance to properly dig in, to um, show the government's ineptitude, to show uh, how, how poorly it's run and what an embarrassment it is, really. But instead, we saw jokes come out. The first week, the Partygate scandal came out. Uh, he made jokes about the fact, even Anton Deck, now you've done wrong because they said something on I'm a celeb or whatever it is. Um, this week was even worse. It was like a gag a minute. Every time he stood up, he just had some jokes to tell, as though it isn't a serious issue. It's really frustrating that he's, he's not bothering to properly question the government. Instead, he's just throwing in a few gags. Um, so that's one thing. And then, you know, David Davis, basically the point was, is that he was thrown under the bus by Labour because he was expecting his comment to be sort of the cherry on the cake, that Labour had been slating Boris for 20 minutes during PMQs and that he would stand up and fire the hammer blow where, you know, even the Tories agree with this. But instead, because Labour offered no opposition, really, other than some cheap jokes, uh, it, it became the point where Davis, as, as Quinny said, wasn't the cherry on the cake, but was the cake itself um, and, and made his his speech a lot weaker in the whole context where no one had really said anything serious. So that was quite quite a shame, I thought, because otherwise Davis's point, I thought, was spot on, was well made and and was sort of a, a quite a big turning point, I imagine, for getting other MPs to think, actually, I'm going to write that letter for the 1922 committee and try and get Boris thrown out. I imagine a lot changed their minds at that point or were given the confidence to do so. Yeah. But again, um, it's like I, I was saying last week, though, it's um, I think it would be a mistake to uh, force that right now. Um, just for two, two reasons. One, they do have the man by his knee. Supposedly, he uh, broke down into tears in front of um, backbenchers and, uh, and apologised profusely for... Well, yeah, but this is all pantomime, isn't it? I don't sure, really sure, sure. Definitely. But either way, you know, what we have in Boris Johnson is ultimately a political animal, someone whose entire, you know, evolutionary function is to survive. And it seems clear now, as we've seen with the reduction of, of Plan B um, regulations, that his instinct now is telling him to appease the um, anti-restriction voices in the party to survive. Mm. Um that way you've got someone right now who is very pliable someone who can be manipulated for the right ends quite easily i mean you know again you know, the, the guy re re reversed plan b he took you know vaccine passports and muslims off the table as as a you know a last ditch effort to survive this scandal that's one thing and two is again as, as i was saying last week the devil you know um you know, if, if if that vacuum were to be opened up, who know, God knows who who who'd emerge out of it. it. Could be a complete hardliner. So you have someone. Obviously, you know, I I want the PM gone 
but not just yet because he can be pushed further and that and you know and and as we as we as we as we've been saying since the very start of this podcast we aren't out of the woods until the repeal of the covid act Boris won't do that. I can't. I can't imagine he'll do that for one. I. I think. I must say. I think this is overblown. I think. You know. The, the devil. You know. We know all of these people. We know the positions of all of them. We know that they're all social liberals. We know that they're all uh, ha- have revealed themselves during the COVID period to be authoritarian. Um, I don't think there'd be any difference. And and also you got. It's not just Boris who is behind all of this. Boris is sort of the figurehead. But even if Boris is replaced by somebody else, the same positions will be pushed forward. I don't think the COVID Act will be repealed just yet. Um, and I think if a new variant springs up, which inevitably it will, um, before we know anything about it, before it's confirmed that it's less deadly than the, than the last, um, new restrictions will be brought back in. Because the, the problem is, is that Boris's removal of restrictions, hasn't, which you hinted at, I suppose, hasn't been done because he believes anything different. Yeah, it's just out of political pressure. It's just yeah. to get one week max maybe one day of positive headlines just so that there's one reason political commentators can say boris has done the right thing here he's shown his leadership it's the only reason so i, I i'm not sure it's true we they they have imbibed balls but i don't think that's enough at this stage um i think something else springs up new variant the same restrictions will come back in regardless of what happened in the past and that labor will still be for them and if there is a new prime minister installed, that the precedent has been set to hold another general election, and the Conservative Party, that the the PR camp, the PR group as a political party, they wouldn't want to jump into an election in a time of crisis. They no. they still have time to wait it out. Well, this... and then in in hopes that other headlines like them scrapping the license fee, which we'll touch upon in a second, hoping other issues will prevail. Yeah. Well, this is this is what you know. I've actually been feeling quite positive about this the, the last week because so many of the the things that could happen over the next few months and and year or two years are, in our view, quite good. If Boris stays and an election does come sooner for whatever reason, then I don't know. The public does seem to have a very short memory, but this could still be damaging. It could still make a big difference and reduce their majority to a good extent. Um, which would be damaging to the Conservative Party and could have long-lasting damage. If Boris is removed, a lot of people said that could have horrendous uh, electoral consequences for Boris, which also pleases me greatly, for the Tory party, I should say, sorry, because um, one, Boris is a known winner, and you know the public might have forgotten about all this by then anyway, by the next election. Two, the other candidates, because an election isn't actually that long away, uh, that far away, won't have time to prove themselves, really. The, people like Sunak and, uh, and Truss uh, are admired in political circles, but I don't think beyond that they're really known very much. I can't imagine many people on the street would know who they were for two seconds um, and certainly don't care about them or have any positive feelings about them. So them being at the helm could, could also damage their chances at another election because people just don't know them. They don't care about them. They're not linked to them. Um, like, 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 say, uh, say if there were, you know, was either a GE or a series of by-elections, and you know, uh, Labour gobbled up um, these, you know, some of these red wall seats, black wall, so some of this, you know, split Tory vote. Um, then, I mean, that wouldn't be the end of it because you know, Labour have proven that they'll vote with the party, you know, throughout this whole thing. Yeah, of course they both will. But this is why it doesn't. We can't be scared about something like Labour coming in charge because it would be no different in terms of COVID. It would essentially be no different. I mean, let, let's be honest. I think one of the main re- people say 
Labour has demonstrated itself to be even harsher on all these COVID restrictions. I think that's just because they're in opposition. They need to be shown to be doing something. They need to say the government is, isn't doing enough. That's, that's the opposition's job, it seems, in the last 20 years, has just been to say the government isn't doing enough. I think if Labour were in charge, we'd probably have seen the same but reversed, that Labour would have done pretty much the same thing, given the advice it was given, would have listened to the same scientific advisers, um, and that the Tories would have said they're not doing enough. They'd have said the cases are too high, the deaths are too high, you're not getting the vaccine out quick enough. So, you know, I'm not I'm not particularly scared of, of Labour being in charge. And remember as well, Jeremy Corbyn is now one of the loudest voices against vaccine passports. So all those Tories who for so long said, whatever happens, we cannot have Jeremy, would much rather have Boris, a mass philanderer, uh, a known liar, social liberal, would much rather have him in charge than Jeremy Corbyn. Well, now look. Um, clearly, it, the opposite would have been better. I think even Jeremy would have would have led us into lockdowns because, again, of the advice, the pressure from within the civil service and the unions, it would all still have been there. I think it would have been much the same, but perhaps there would have been more opposition to certain things like vaccine passports. I can't see why why either party being in makes much of a difference on either of these things. No, it doesn't. It's well, it's been like most countries throughout the world. There's just been rubber stamp and fine print opposition. The only real opposition I think you can really find is some places in America, like, like in Florida, opposing whatever Biden's government tries to throw on them. But yeah, you look at across Europe, every every political opposition is just subdued to this. Mm. Look at Australia, where there's just no political opposition whatsoever. No. No, it's uh, it is a it's a pretty terrifying state there, actually, just how far they're going. And in France, Julian Yvonne, who's I think he's currently in France, actually, um, but has spent a lot of time in France, if not, um, has just revealed that the new the new French measures regarding vaccine passports is that people will need to be boosted every four months, so three times a year, in order for their vaccine uh, vaccine passport certificate to remain active. That's the sort of measures we're coming against. Um, it is. Absolutely mental. We're coming up to. I think this this will be this. We'll be entering the third year of of restrictions. Two years have passed, and it's still just as firm. Remember in uh, in twenty twenty when holidays were cancelled and people said, "Well, next year at least." That wasn't true. And then last year they said, "Well, next year at least." Also, won't be true. At least not for those who who uh, who'd rather not uh, put up with all the costly testing. Um, and wearing masks everywhere they go abroad. So it's, it, it and, is for And it is worth noting, however bad things are in this country, by, just by pure virtue of how bad it's on, it is on the continent, we are a free estate in Western Europe at the moment. Yeah. That might actually, actually help Boris by... Because um, some things governments do is they point the cameras towards another country and say, look how bad things are. We're not like them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really, it's like doublespeak um, where one minute we're told um, no deaths are acceptable. We must fully lock down and all this. And we're told we're not, we're not doing, we're not doing this quickly enough. We need to be like this country and, and act more fast. But then when it's politically convenient, they say, well, look at this country. Uh, they've got lots more restrictions than we have, and we're doing just fine. So 
it's it's so frustrating where none of it is based off the evidence or, or science it's all just based on political posturing they look at one country when it suits them they look at another country when it suits them and the point i was making on the tories is that no other leader who could replace boris will be better i don't think that labor being in charge would be better i don't think it would be particularly worse i think it's just a, a this is a good opportunity to see uh, the, the Conservative Party bashed down a step after a good, what, more than a decade in power. And that could lead to more long-lasting electoral hurt. Um, it might not. It, it, this may all be pipe dreams. But I think if people like us Conservatives want any hope, then saying, oh, well, another, another Tory leader might be slightly worse or having Labour would be worse isn't good enough. We almost have to go through these things uh, in order to bash them down enough. And um, uh, if we have any chance of of making some kind of replacement, which again may not be possible, at least not in our lifetimes, but it's something we have to work towards, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on, as to the government's response then to all of the bashing, we've mentioned that all the Plan B stuff, again, out of political convenience to get a few good headlines. One of the other things they've done in order to get a few good headlines is announce the abolition of the BBC license fee from 2028. What do we make of that then? dead cat yeah <laughs> simple simple as really i mean you know um <clears throat> it's like um we've been saying for a while the 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 government you know the 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 british conservative party is um a, an expert in continuity you know it's been in power for 12 years despite the fact that those 12 years have been laden with deeply unpopular policies yeah um like it's a, is an expert in prolonging its own longevity right that's just what it does um and it's it's clear the party is extremely unpopular right now it's behind labor in the polls and has been for a few weeks now i'm sure they're panicking so you know the 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 the, the policy unit just thought oh why, why don't we go for a few you know culture war issues try try and win over um try and win over the uh the, the you know the the, the anti-woke people in our in our in our party and you know they they could have gone for cultural institutions that they could have gone for the national trust they could, could have gone for schools universities they could have you know um gone for the uh the 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 colston judgment but no they decided to go for the bbc because you know that requires relatively little effort but relatively little long-term planning mm-hmm. um it's just you know it's it's a it's a little treat you know they try to give the uh, the the slightly more more right wing parts of the base to uh, try and sort of placate their their anger at the fact that they've been subjugated for what now appears to be no good reason. Yeah, well, um, one of the points on this I think is that the the current BBC Royal Charter on its license fee ends in twenty twenty seven I think. Um, so the license fee couldn't be scrapped until that time. 2027 is a long time away. Um, promises about the license fee can be made very easily now uh, with the view that they, they won't be enacted at this later period. Um, that's one point. So this is sort of one of those announcements that could actually bear no, uh, bear no relation to reality. It's just one of those mentions, as we say, to get a few good headlines right now. And I think that's demonstrated by the way it was announced. This is one of the few times where looking at the inward political squabblings is quite interesting because, first of all, Nadine Dorries announced that the current uh, announcement on the license fee would be the last, um, i.e. that it would be scrapped afterwards on Twitter, of all places. 
then in uh, Downing, sorry, in, in Westminster a few days later, she really sort of dialed down her, her comments and said that the license fee would be reviewed in 2027, which is very different to saying it would be scrapped. And then it was briefed to the Sun that Boris uh, was in favour of the license fee being scrapped. But importantly, uh, a few of the um, important cabinet ministers, I think even including Rishi Sunak, were frustrated about this because cabinet hadn't been briefed. It hadn't been talked about. You can tell this isn't a thought out policy. It's nothing that they have any intention of actually pulling out. It's simply, again, uh, a small, pretty cynical bid to get some good headlines. I don't even think they think it will be implemented. It's just one of those things they're saying uh, in desperation at this point. They're clutching at straws. And that's, <laughs> that appears to be a very popular straw uh, among voters. I mean, yes, um, well, the, the Tory party is tough on rhetoric, little on action in all spaces of governance. Yeah. And uh, this BBC saga is no different. And even if BB, even if the licence fee is scrapped, that won't solve the liberalism of the BBC. In fact, it might make it even worse. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it means CNN doesn't receive public funding. You know, it's um, yeah. it, it, what what will happen is, you know, inevitably, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, foot stomping from the likes of Gary Lineker, you know, but of course, you know, the, the, the guy is paying, you know, multi-millions a year. And, you know, obviously it'll it'll revert to a um, a subscription model um, you know, without the, the license fee. Uh, so obviously there'll be a different funding because not everyone will, will go for it. Um, and it's a sh- it, there's, a, there's a shame in that because essentially what will happen is the first thing to go when there's a re- reduction in funding will be the actual cultural stuff like BBC Four, um, the parts of the radio that play you know classical music and nice old songs, and what will stay will be BBC One, BBC Sport, and Radio One, where you know all the um, <laughs> all the progressive messaging is. Yeah, no, that's a very good point, actually. Um, what what I found really frustrating was, so that you, you mentioned Gary Lineker, was the pro-BBC uh, figures' response to all this. Most of them pulled out a video from, like, 1980 of John Cleese in a pub saying, well, what does what does my licence fee get me anyway? Which, don't get me wrong, it's a very amusing video. It's, it's very good, and it, it makes some good points. But it's, it's, it's decades old. It's, it's not relevant anymore. <laughs> it's... It's sort of, they really handed um, an argument for the abolition of the licence fee on a silver platter to those who are wanting to defund the BBC by by saying the only thing they had in favour of it was a bloody decades-old video, uh, which was made yeah, that massive own goal, I thought. Yeah, with, with people in it who the current BBC regime despise, you know, yeah. and, and, won't give, and, won't, just, and won't and won't give programmes to anymore. They're just erasing them from history. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it is it is frustrating, but worry not because, as we said, all of this is political talk anyway. They won't remove the license fee. Boris might not even be in charge by that. And we're talking about in in what five years time. Mm. Um, Boris might not be in in five weeks time, or yeah. possibly even five days time, depending on when the Sea Grey report comes out. So uh, worth talking about, but not worth worrying about, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yes, that has been the week in review. We hope you enjoyed it and might join us again next week. Thanks all for listening. Cheers.